in studying this, this is one of the, throughout history, one of the most well-loved psalms throughout church history. John Chrysostom, who lived 300 years after Christ, wrote that it was decreed and ordained by the primitive church fathers that no day should pass without the public singing of this psalm. Now, you know, if we were, if we were asked, what would you think would be the most popular psalm? We would probably say Psalm 23. We might say Psalm 90, Psalm 46. Psalm 63 probably wouldn't be on our list, but the early church fathers said that not a day should pass without the public singing of this psalm. In fact, the ancient church had the practice of beginning the singing of psalms at every Sunday service by singing Psalm 63. They called it the morning psalm. David had been reigning for many years as the king in Jerusalem. He had been extraordinarily blessed by God. And yet, following the sin of David with Bathsheba, the sins of David with Bathsheba, there were many trials that came into David's life. And he was forgiven of God. He was welcomed back into fellowship through God's mercy. He enjoyed the joy of his salvation. He was restored to that. And yet, he had many trials. And one of those was um, one of David's sons uh, led a revolt against David as king took some of David's concubines up onto the housetop and had relations with them. It's a horrifying thought, but you can only imagine what it did to David. He's driven out from the land. He's not the king on the throne anymore. And the worst part for David was not that he was in the wilderness, not just that he'd been separated from his power and rule, The worst part for David at this stage was that he was separated from the worship of God, from the temple of God, and from the praise of God. And it's there in the wilderness while his son rebelliously is reigning in Jerusalem that David sings or writes Psalm 63 All the props have been kicked out from under David. Everything has gone wrong. All the blessings have seemed to have been lost. And it's in these circumstances that we read Psalm 63. Notice if you'd follow along. O God, Thou art my God. Early will I seek Thee. My soul thirsteth for Thee. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. 
to see thy power and thy glory, so as I have seen thee in the sanctuary, because thy loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise thee. Thus will I bless thee while I live. I will lift up my hands in thy name. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise thee with joyful lips. When I remember thee on my bed and meditate on thee in the night watches, because thou hast been my help, therefore in the shadow of thy wings will I rejoice." My soul followeth hard after thee. Thy right hand upholdeth me. But those that seek my soul to destroy it shall go into the lower parts of the earth. They shall fall by the sword. They shall be a portion for foxes. But the king shall rejoice in God. Everyone that sweareth by him shall glory. But the mouth of them that speak lies shall be stopped. David, in this psalm, is telling us that he's lost everything, but the one thing that he longs for is God. He thirsts for God. What David wants is God. Think about it. If you had lost everything, What would be the one thing that you would want? You know, it it really tells us a lot about us by how we respond in adversity and what it is we desire. And David's desire conveys his heart. And he says in verse 3, My relationship with you is more important than anything else. Thy loving kindness is better to me than life. My lip shall praise thee. Jason's going to come lead us in a song that really is verse 3 of Psalm 63. And um, I think we'll have Kathy play through the song first. Thy loving kindness is better than life. And um, and our desire is that this really becomes the heart's desire of ours, that his loving kindness is better than life. She'll play through it. You follow along with the words. And then we'll sing it.
verse one more time. Can you play that last phrase, thy loving, because I'm not getting it. Most everybody, thy, okay, yeah. Okay, okay. I'm not sure I got it, but we'll try it, okay? Just the first verse. Thy loving kindness is better than life. Thy loving kindness is better than life. My lips shall praise Thee, thus will I bless Thee. Thy loving kindness is better than life. All right, you may be seated. Invite you to go back to Psalm 63. Psalm 63. You notice this psalm begins in a very personal manner. He says, O God, Thou art my God. He is... He is identifying the reality that a relationship with God is not corporate. A relationship with God is a very personal thing. And it's not just an awareness that he has of God, But he says the the whole nature of the phrase that he uses here, Oh God, you are my God. It, It carries the nature of it that he's moved from an awareness of God to an intimacy with God. That he he knows God. It's not just I know about God. There's a lot of people that we know about. I mean, we can mention people in, we can mention President Trump, you can mention Vice President Pence, you can mention Governor Reynolds, and we know about them, and we could mention a lot of other names, we, we know about them, we're aware of them, but this goes far beyond that. He's saying, God, you are my God, I, I am brought to an intimacy with you And he makes it very personal. And then he says, Early will I seek thee, my soul thirsteth for thee, my flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. I want you to think of a time in your life that you think of that you were the very most thirsty you have ever been. Um. Some of you, it may have been when you were 
out hiking in the mountains and didn't take enough water along, okay? Um, some of you, it may have been when you were up in the hay mile and they just kept running bales up that elevator and you thought it was never going to end and you'd never be able to stop and get out and get some water. Whatever it is, the time that you were the most thirsty ever, then think about the reality of when you were able to get your hands on water, or not your hands, when you were able to put water down your throat. I, I, still, I still remember, when I think of this, I think of putting up hay up in the hay mow, and I think of coming down and you're covered with all the, the hay stuff, you know. And I, and I loved it when they had a pump well out there and you just get under it and the water, you pump it and the water's cold. And first of all, you drink it, then you splash it all over yourself and you cool. How many of you relate to that? You're reliving those things. Amen. All right. But when we are thirsty, another time comes to mind thirsty of, of cutting weight for wrestling and not drinking anything until you weigh in, then you, can, then you can go drink some water, okay? But the reality is when we are thirsty, there comes a point in time in our life, and most of us probably have never been there, that that drive for thirst takes over. That, that it is something that um, it just takes over because our body realizes it needs it. David is at a point in his life and he knows that he must, knowing his condition, knowing his heart and his circumstances... He knows that he must thirst after God. And the soul that knows its own needs will thirst after God. Thirst gives a sense of dying. A desperate thirst gives an intense suffering and longing and single-minded focus And David, at this stage in his life, the one thing that he was longing for was connection with God. David did not say that he missed most his family or his friends or the palace or the food. David said, what I miss most is the presence of God. I thirst after God. To seek after God means that we have an intimate, personal relationship with God. As we said, there's a vast difference between knowing about a person and actually knowing a person. To hunger and thirst after God, to realize the desperate need of our soul. And I don't, when I say the desperate need of our soul, I don't necessarily mean desperate circumstances. When you come to realize, I was made to live with God, and I cannot live without Him, we realize the desperate need of our soul. And when I know my own needs, I will thirst after God. 
That means I, I will pursue an intimate personal relationship. And to seek after God means always desiring more of Him. That, that it's not, okay, I've got salvation and that's good enough. I'm, I'm content with that. No, there is a thirst, and David is conveying here this aspect that I thirst after. My flesh longs for thee as in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. Do you understand, apart from Christ, we are in a land where there is no water. There are a lot of pseudo-waters But Jesus said to the woman at the well, you are seeking from this well and from your life, you are seeking things that will never satisfy. It is a dry and thirsty land. Jesus knew that she was seeking in in relationships with men things that would never satisfy. And he said to the woman at the well in John 4, If you drink from these things, you will most definitely thirst again. It will never satisfy. But he said, but if you drink of the water that I give to you, if you drink of a personal, intimate relationship with me, Jesus said, you will be satisfied. To seek after God means that we have a personal, intimate relationship with God. It is means that we desire more of Him, to earnestly seek after Him. My flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is, to see your power. The word that is used there in in longing is used of wild donkeys eagerly and anxiously looking for food. The point that David is making here is that to seek after God means you go after God with an intense desire. A.W. Tozer said, Complacency is a deadly foe of all spiritual growth. He went on and said, Come near to the holy men and women of the past, and you will soon feel the heat of their desire after God. They mourned for Him. They prayed and wrestled and sought for Him day and night, in season and out of season. And when they found Him, the finding was all the sweeter Because of the seeking, to seek after God also means that you pursue God alone to fill the vacuum in your life. Longings for success, longings for social acceptance, longings for family affection or respect or whatever it is will never meet our real need that Jesus Christ alone can meet. And not just, I'm not just saying just Jesus Christ alone in receiving him for the forgiveness of our sin. 
I'm saying we are saved. Jesus Christ paid the penalty for our sin to bring us to a relationship with the Father. And it is that relationship alone that will satisfy. To seek after God means to pursue God alone to fill what nothing else can fill. And and you understand, as people, we give ourselves to a life and we end up pursuing all these things. And we find out they won't fulfill. And sad to say, the vast majority of people never come to the point where they realize, oh, none of this will fulfill, only Jesus will. And much of our life is God saying, okay, this is what you're going after. Go ahead. Go after it. And then he shows us that once we have it, it won't fulfill. It's like a dog chasing a car. If he catches the car, what's he going to do with it? Pretty disappointing, isn't it? And we chase after success, we chase after money, we chase after establishing this perfect family, we chase after notoriety. And and God gives us the choice to make all these choices, and we can chase after whatever we want. And David had learned in his life through some difficult experiences that the only thing that will satisfy is God. And when he'd lost everything else, he didn't miss anything else. He said, the one thing, I long to see your power and your glory as I saw in the sanctuary. I long, I thirst after you, God. The soul that thirsts after God is satisfied. Verses 1 and 2 is the thirsting, is the longing. But notice verses 3 through 7. He says, because thy loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise thee. Thus will I bless thee while I live. I will lift up my hands in thy name. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise thee with joyful lips. When I remember thee on my bed and meditate on thee on the night watches, because thou hast been my help, therefore in the shadow of thy wings I will rejoice. As we thirst after God, We can have as much of God as we desire. Your personal relationship right now is with God is what it is because it is where you have established it. And you can have as much of God. God never, God never says, nope, that's enough. No more. You can't have more of me. And David said, because my soul thirsted after you, I was satisfied in you. And and in being satisfied with him, it was reflected in his life. Notice he said, I will bless thee while I live. I will lift up my hands in thy name. 
I will give praise to you. Why? I'm satisfied. The greatest compliment that a business can have is to have satisfied customers telling other people about their satisfaction with doing business. And everyone that hungers and thirsts after God, as we with our whole heart and soul thirst after him, we will, we will be satisfied. There is the certainty. God says, if you draw near to me, I will draw near to you. Thirsting after God produces great fruit. God's love is desirous of giving to us, but he desires us to come after him. And when we have God, we will have enough. And at the same time, we will have the peace that he gives. Notice if you'd look in, in verse 7. Because thou hast been my help, therefore in the shadow of thy wings will I rejoice. My soul followeth hard after thee. Thy right hand upholdeth me. There is inner satisfaction in his life. He, he's able to have joy in his life. Verse 5, My mouth shall praise thee with joyful lips. Only in Christ do we have joy. Only in Christ do we have peace of mind. Only in Christ do we have stability and strength. Notice verses 9 through 11. It, it gives a, a balanced perspective. He had his enemies, those that seek his soul to destroy it. God, I'm trusting God to take care of them. He said, "In the king, the king shall rejoice in God, and I am trusting God to stop the lies of them that speak them. He had a balanced perspective. I'm trusting God to do this. I'm going to praise God now because my relationship with you is more important than anything else. The soul that is satisfied and comes to know the satisfaction in God then clings to God as never before. Notice verse 8. My soul followeth hard after thee. Thy right hand upholdeth me. I don't know if you as a kid or as a parent had any kids maybe get lost when they were shopping or at a ball game or something. And and then after they've been lost and you found them, generally speaking, they they have a fear of this happening again, and so they want to make sure that they have a hold on you. They follow hard after you. I mean, I've been I've been in in situations, ball games, huge crowds, and we're leaving, and one of the kids will grab a hold of my shirt because I, this is just how I am, okay? I take it a challenge getting out of crowds and getting to, we went to the um, grapple on the gridiron, and uh, 
a couple years ago, and there was a huge crowd there, and they only had a few doors open. They didn't think. And I love seeing, okay, how can we get through? And I saw we could go around this way. We could be right up for a front. We lost some of the group that was with us. But my kids learned that. So they'd, I'd feel this shirt pulled back here. And it's a kid following hard after me. They've got their hands on there, and I don't know where Dad's going, but I, I know he's my way home. Christ alone is our way home, and we had better follow hard after him. The more we learn that he alone satisfies, the more we should be saying, that much more, God, your loving kindness is better than anything else in this life. The psalmist said that he'd trained himself to spend sleepless nights in praise and fellowship with God. That's following hard after. Notice verse 8. When I remember thee upon my bed and meditate on thee in the night watches, what happens? He came to points where he couldn't sleep. So what's he do? Count sheep? No. Does he dwell on his problems? No. He dwells on the loving kindness of God. He meditates on God. He goes hard after God. Cling to God in prayer with such tenacity that when you are finished in prayer with him, you have a peace, Philippians 4 says, that passes all understanding. It is, it is labor intensive to go after God. But it's training ourselves and understanding this, He alone will satisfy. Nothing else will satisfy. And the sooner we learn that as David, the better off we'll be. A young man, the story is told, ran after Socrates, calling, Socrates, Socrates, can, can I be your disciple? Socrates ignored him and just walked out into a body of water. The man followed him and continued to say as, as Socrates went into the water, Socrates, Socrates, can I be your disciple? Will you mentor me? Will you teach me? Socrates turned, and without a word, he grabbed the young man, and he dunked him under the water, and he held him down until he knew that he couldn't take it any longer. The man came up, grasping for air and uh, gasping desperately. And Socrates replied, Young man, when you desire the truth as much as you seek air, you can be my disciple. God doesn't dunk us under the water and hold us there. But the question we need to ask is how much do we desire God? Socrates did not want to waste his time on someone that wasn't all in. That wasn't hungering and thirsting for truth. 
And God gives us the opportunity to know the God that spoke and the world came into existence, and yet we seldom thirst for him. We seldom seek him. We seldom go after him. The reality is that there is no help and there is no hope except in Christ. Are we willing to truly live as the truth of the matter is that only God matters? That God's unchanging, faithful love is better than life? And as we focus and concentrate on God's faithfulness, you will see that praise is produced in our life that we will know the peace of God, the stability of God, the perspective of God. Often, in preparations for sermons, I see where God is directing us, and we'll pick songs that reflect that. And so when we're singing the songs, I've already this week been thinking on these truths, and we'll sing the songs that are reiterating these truths. And, and I go, man, that is so good. And I'll think, why aren't they so excited about that? Well, I understand you haven't been thinking about it. And you don't know what's coming. So, yeah, there's truths in there. But because we've been, I've been thinking on these and now we're singing these, then the reality comes out a little more. So this morning, I'm going to ask Jason to come, and we're going to sing a couple songs that reflect some of these truths. Who can cheer the heart like Jesus? Uh, No one. I mean, I want you to think of these words as we sing them. And I want you to ask yourself... What evidence is there in my life that I am seeking after God? How thirsty am I for God? You you know, the sad part about life is we learn to muddle our way through life with mediocrity. The power of God is not seen. The glory of God is not seen. And that becomes the norm of Christianity. And God never intended it to be that way. But those of you that have, have thirsted after God and when you have tasted Him, when you have seen Him minister in your life the truth of God's Word, you say, there is nothing that compares to this. And what a joy it is. And if you're here today and you say, you know, that, that's foreign to me. It's, it's not... You know, I I read the Bible, but it's not like there's great joy in it. It's not like as you commit yourself to hunger and thirst after God as a child of God, God says, as you seek him, you will be satisfied. It's It's one guarantee you can bank on. The problem is not God. The problem is us. Jason's going to come and lead us in a song here.
Who can cheer the heart like Jesus? By his presence all divine, true and tender, pure and precious. Oh, how blessed to call him mine. All that is my soul is Jesus. He is more than life to me. And the fairest of ten thousand. What a wonderful redemption. Can be whiter than the snow. All that thrills my soul is Jesus. He is more than life to me. And supply in he is all in all to me. All that thrills my soul is Jesus. This last week, I visited with a man, and he shared with me, um, well, Brad, would you be willing to come up here and share? I'll ask you some questions, okay? Um, 